Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Sharonda, Karen, Katie, when you lost your husbands, um, what support was offered to you and I know we're going I mean we can talk about stigma and you know what we bring on ourselves also as stigma right um, and our loved ones brought on themselves a stigma because they they wouldn't talk about uh, with the peers or within their department about what we're going through for fear of either losing the job or feeling weak or being ashamed of what they were going through right, um, or getting help, right, just seeking help, someone help me. Um, afterwards, when you lost your husband, Sharonda, Katie, Karen, um, was there help from the departments for you? Um, after Mike passed, uh, like I said, he was working down outside D.C. I never heard a word um, to this day, I've never heard a word from anybody that he worked with every day for the last six months of his life. Um, the people up here in the New England area that he worked with before he got sent down to headquarters were awesome. They had a uh, golf tournament uh, for Mike they came to the house, uh, guys that he worked with were the ones that went down and cleaned out the apartment so I didn't have to and brought everything back. Um, so I know anytime I've ever needed anything, they've been the ones that I reach out to and without fail have been supportive. But um, like I said, the people that he worked with every day leading up to his death, never heard from. I wouldn't even know um, who they were. Yeah. Sad. Katie, want to chime in there? Um, I do have to say Jim's department has been wonderful to me. They had um, actually a team. They had two officers that were assigned to me and helped me with everything as far as planning the funeral, the services, um, everything start to finish. Like I truly don't know what I would have done without them. And one of the offices in particular made a connection with the kids and she gave them both my kids, her phone number and reached out and checked on them. And even, you know, like she's just 
motherly. She, yeah. um, you know, she lost her dad at my son's, she was the same age as my son was when she lost her dad. And so she had a total connection to him right away and she was amazing. Um, and as far as the guys in the department, they've been great too. They, um, you know, now we're a year into it. And so my life is trying to kind of find my new way, but, um, all of the guys have totally, you know, our house is on the way to the department of some of them are like, Oh, we're on our way to work or grabbing pizza for our families. And they'll stop in see how the kids are doing. Send me a text message. Lots of people have, um, you know, supported me along the way. And I do have one local widow here that I knew we had mutual friends before and she was in the same situation and she immediately reached out and we formed this wonderful friendship and she's been a huge support and knows exactly what we're all facing because she yeah. faced it herself. And so I, I don't, as I look back on the last year, I honestly don't know how I would have done it without the support I have, uh, have felt. So I'm hopeful that, you know, not that you want to, um, see anyone else walk on the path, but you hope that maybe you can be that person for someone else should they need you down the road yeah and I think you know that's what we've all you know when I went to the honor dinner last year I totally felt that love and connection and um support and empathy and everything you just you leave with a whole new I think circle of friends but also appreciation now for what you have and so as the emotions come I know I have certain groups of friends, certain friends for a need in my life. And when I am feeling low or is this normal or did you feel this way? I go to all really you guys and you guys have been wonderful for me. And yeah, so I have to say I have, I definitely have felt fully supported, which is nice. Yeah. So I, I, I want to start to chime in on a little bit because, um, you know, as a parent of a you know, it's apparent of losing a first responder. Um, I have a whole different perspective than than a wife would, right? From from your end. Um, but I was wondering, um, you know, for sharing with with our listeners to understand the enormity of losing your husband, um, like with health insurance like if you if you're if you were having your health insurance from you know if your husband was the carrier of your health insurance and if he was you know the main breadwinner bringing you know I can see Sharonda like nodding and Karen's nodding you're all nodding at me can you share with us like so you find you have to find a new role so not only have you you're dealing with losing your husband but then dealing with paying the bills and health insurance for your family and how you're going to deal with all of that how like share with us what that's like as for a a widow um not only dealing with the loss of of your loved one and grieving and and trying to even just process any of that but then dealing with all this other stuff um that I don't know about I don't have that experience right so can you can you enlighten what is a little bit the the struggle that you go through with that at first it was all a blur like I just remember making lists for myself and just getting so excited when I could cross 
something off the list. And I know with the DEA, um, the guys from the New England office got me in touch with the woman who was in charge of all of that. And she is absolutely wonderful. You know, I still reach out to her every now and then. If I have a question, she just sent me a packet, you know, what I had to do and worked through it with me line by line. You know, you're going to need to do this. And, you know, uh, the last paycheck's going to come on this date and, you know, the life insurance money and, you know, what you're going to, you're going to need to do this. You know, there'll be a gap. I think it was a three month gap, you know, like don't get sick for three months because there's going to be a gap between switching it over from his name to your name type thing. And just, I mean, it's still not all done and it'll be two years in December. Um, but it's like, there's still, I don't even know the official name for it of, you know, this money that is we're supposed to be getting um, for every month for an additional three years that when I called in April, like, Hey, you know, where, where is this or whatever? And they were like, we are so backlogged. Maybe we'll get yours in December. And I was like, that's going to be two years after he passed away. And they were like, yeah, we know. And, um, you know, it's just constantly calling people and following up, doing, you know, yeah, following up and red tape and, and you know, luckily, you know, he also had, you know, military and reserve money that was coming in. Um, but I remember like one thing that was like so ironic and they were like, oh, he's going to get his last paycheck. And, uh, Mike passed away on what was like day nine of a 10 day paycheck. And when I called about something, they were like, oh, well, you're going to need to give us whatever money back. They were like, because you're actually getting paid for two weeks and he only worked one week and four days. Mm. And I remember being like, are, are you serious? <laughs> like, you know, he, you're overpaying him one day's work. And I think that ended up falling through that, you know, that never really pushed that issue. But at yeah. first it was like, yeah, you know, that, cha- that paycheck's going to be one day too many and you need to get that back. Yeah. But, yeah. So it's like a nightmare trying to sort of yeah, still figure yeah, this out like just, two years later. You know, a lot the of the red tape and how, like looking back now, it's like, gosh, how did I even do it all? Yeah. I think I was just like, you know, just a robot and you don't even realize. Yeah. As you said, a blur at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sean, did you want to chime in there? I, um, I think back and I know that it was, only by the grace of God that I made it through. I, um, when I, after such a horrible funeral, because my funeral was horrible, you know, the sheriff actually came and she spoke negatively about the way that he died at our funeral. I, I, luckily that I don't remember because I was in such a blur and I had so many people screaming murderer and all of that at, at his funeral. Um, my little boy at the time, it was maybe a day or two after the funeral, he came into uh, my room. He's 11 years old at the time, but, and he has such joy in his eyes. I get emotional every time I think about um, that. And he said, mom, I found a way that I can hug my dad again. And I said, um, he said, but I don't want to tell you. 
I said, well, babe, um, you can tell me. Because <clears throat> mind you, I'm like completely broken. And he said, um, after, after some convincing, he said, if I kill myself, his words didn't, um, the words didn't, you know, affect me as much as the look that he had, like this epiphany. He had such joy in his his face and his eyes. And I, I called my, um, our PCP and I, I needed to get him into the doctor's office because I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. And, um, the doctor told me, the office told me, um, your insurance was canceled on Saturday. So they found my husband on Friday and our insurance was canceled Saturday, like on a weekend. It was, um, it was, it was horrible. I, I didn't know what to do. Um, at the time I was a stay at home mom. Um, and it was like the, I, I thank God that we had savings because I was able to pay for the funeral. Um, and right along with, you know, people, you know, a few people, uh, like gave you know whatever if it was a few hundred dollars I had, I put that toward the funeral costs you know that was all that I could um, bury him so it was a very hard time um, and we were all broken and I didn't know how I was gonna make it but luckily our situation um, it made the national news because of how it happened what the sheriff said so it, it made national news and that was the one thing that my little boy actually. He didn't like it, he said, because now everyone knows at the time how he said it, that my dad suicided himself. He said, now everyone knows, but actually that it worked out in our favor because it was another organization, One Tribe Foundation, that actually saw it. And they were part of my saving grace. Um, they actually gave us, it was almost like a secret service type thing. You know, it was like underground. I uh, received a phone call from a lady um, she left a message and one of our coworkers, he said, a lady's going to call you. She's legit. Just answer the phone. So I called her back and she said, what, what do you need? At the time I said, I don't know. I just need to get my children therapy. That's all I want to do is get them therapy. Um, and she said, okay, we'll call this number. I called this number and the person answered the phone. His name was Joaquin. I remember that. And my memory is not very well, but I remember Joaquin answering the phone and he said, we've been waiting for your phone call. And he said, what do you need? I said, I just need to get my children therapy. And he said, well, can you be in? Um, can you come in this week? Um, so we can go ahead and go through our intake. And um, I brought all of my boys, there's three of my boys. I brought them all there. And, and my nephew, I raised my nephew, but he didn't want to have any parts of it because he was dealing with this, his emotions. And I brought my three boys in and um, I said, this is, this is, I have some money in the bank. I just need to get them help. I wasn't worried about me. I said, I just need to get them taken care of. And they told me whether it's 30 days or 30 years, your money is not, it's not good here. We will give you free therapy. He said, it's not. And he said, that includes you. And they said, you know, because it has to start with you. And so that was, that was a part of, um, and I even didn't know even at the time that I was actually suicidal. I didn't know that, that that's the one thing about, this type of loss is that it transfers over to the families that are close. And not only was my little boy in that state, I was too. Oh. I didn't realize that until six months later when I attempted myself, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that until then, but yeah, having the, the lack of insurance and the department was, 
those friends that knew us for all of these years, it, they they were afraid. Now that I have learned, they didn't know what to say. Some people, they wanted something to blame other than him. So it was easy to blame me. She's the reason why, because Cal wouldn't have done that. Um, and everyone stayed away from me. It wasn't until maybe two years, maybe two or three years that they slowly start a few. And it's still just a few because even now they're still afraid, almost like they're going to catch suicide. But I understand, too, a lot of them, they see themselves. It was a re- it was a reality, a dose of reality for them. That if Cal can do this, what about me? So you run from it. So that's what a lot of them are doing, running from it. And I'm able to give them the grace and, and understand that they just didn't know themselves. They didn't know what to do, like in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. Mm. I'm like trying to swallow, swallow that a little bit um, and start to take in all of that. I can see Katie, I can see Karen nodding and resonating with Sharonda. Also, I can see Katie also emotional like myself. Um, thinking about that I mean that's something as a parent um, you know I knew it was like different as far as not you know how did how did these women like be able to pay the bills or take on a role now of you know I'm I'm the only role model now in the home how am I going to take this and and uh, the health insurance, right, part of it, and paying the bills, and how am I going to figure this all out? And um, some, it all depends on, it sounds like, all depending on what department your person um, worked in was whether you got the help or not. So all is different. But there's one thing for sure, is that all of those departments know that when they're sending these first responders out on the streets of the job that they're doing, that they're going to experience or witness traumatic incidents. It's, it's not a matter of if they are. It, it, they are going to. And it's just a matter of when and how they actually respond to those incidents, right? Um, and carrying that load. And if they are going to share um, that load. Jay, do you want to chime in? Yes, ma'am. Um, Sharonda, I'm wondering if the if the therapy was helpful. Was that process? Mm. Um, it sounds like it was quite a relief that, that it was offered. Was it something that helped you and, and your family? Absolutely. It, it really did. It was, it didn't feel like um, in the beginning it was much for me because mm-hmm. I was also in denial being, being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I understood everything that my husband told me. I understood everything that he was doing, the way that he moved. I too was starting to move that same way. The mindset that he had, I had that same mindset, but I didn't have, he didn't have what I had. People to identify that this is not the way it's supposed to be, but this is how you can learn to rethink that and learn to control those thoughts and learn to, to move this way and to understand um, he didn't have that. Um, but I had, I have so much more compassion for him that his struggles to know that he's, he was living like this for so long, so long. And to go through that, that's strength. 
I tell everyone he was strong to go through what he went through and to keep it together until he couldn't any any longer. Mm. So it it has helped me. It has helped my all of my boys quite a bit, quite a bit. And I don't think that just the things that I learned in the beginning of my therapy, it, it's a part, it's a process and you have to learn to trust the process and, and the healing. It, it requires a lot of vulnerability and, and, and it's, and it's power in that and it's in healing and being transparent. And I, I learned that through therapy. I wasn't like that. I, I grew up in a single parent home that taught me, you don't ever let your emotion show. You don't ever do this. You work. And then I went to a profession that those were the criteria. So, and unfortunately we taught, we taught our boys to be the same way. So it was a lot of trying to unlearn things and we're still unlearning. So we're still unpacking. Um, but I'm so grateful for that therapy, especially in those moments when I attempted to take my life. If I didn't have that therapy before, I don't think I would still be here. I, I really don't think I would still be here if I didn't have that before. So yes, it has been culturally competent because these therapists, they are culturally competent. So they understood and, and I got it. And I don't like to have anything that's sugarcoated, you know, with therapy, they tell you, mm. they, they follow you, they follow their guide. And um, people think I'm just because I, I, I seem like I'm quite passive. No, I'm one of those. I don't like anything sugarcoated. You tell me upfront, and you call me out on things like that. And and my therapist was like that. Even when I wanted to do something else, he pulled me back in. No, Sharonda, this is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I I got it. Yeah. You know, and and I'm here. Yes. So that organization, um, if we if we can get into the organizations or the resources that were available to you or that you were introduced to. Even just by, as you said, like out of the blue, um, what resources were available to you, if any, um, that were helpful for you? That you, you said, yeah, this is this is this is working for me. This that was the start. Um, the One Tribe Foundation. That is actually what helped me be open to receiving help from for anything else. Um, and, and being available. Then I went to from there um, in conjunction with the Suicide Crisis Center. Um, and then from there, um, it was AFSP. And then from there, it was um, First Health. So, but the, the foundation for me was One Tribe, and they were the ones that were, you can do this. You know, things that I didn't think that I wouldn't be able to do, no, you can do this. And, and I'm happy that I had them there to, to not only push me, push me, but guide me. Yeah. Um, to let me know that I'm there are, I'm, I'm capable of other things because the mind was letting me know that I could and my grief and my trauma was, was hindering me. So I had to learn how to move around it yeah. because it's there. It never changes. People think that it's going to stay the same. It, you're not the same person. You just have to relearn. It's a lot of relearning yeah. um, and a lot of processing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm finding where you belong. Yeah. Where do I belong now? What do I do? Who, yeah. who am I? Right? I, re- I remember, um, especially with the grief group, they told me, find a, find a grief group. So I find a grief group and I don't fit because my husband died by suicide. Okay, then I find a, a suicide grief group and I don't fit there because he was a police officer. 
Mm. So I said, where, where do I belong? Yeah. You know, so then I was able to, at the time I was able to, you know, introduce the first help. And then that's when we got the, our support group. So it was like, yes, I want to put it together because that's, this is, this is me. This is us. And, and we yeah. belong because yes. I didn't belong to anything else before. Yeah. One Tribe, can you just sort of go through the One Tribe organization because you did talk about them, the One Tribe Foundation. For our listeners' purpose, share with us what that organization is about. Oh, God. One Tribe, they're, um, they actually started out military, and it's um, for the mental wellness and suicide prevention of military. And prior to me coming, it was maybe two years they introduced first responders to it. And I believe I was one of the beginning of the first responder families that they introduced um, into it. Um, and they are all about post, post-traumatic stress because that is their center because, because it's military and, and just fighting that good fight to, to stay in the fight and to, and to keep them here. Um, and they, they were my same grace. They provide all type of therapies, wind therapy, you know, everything is, it's not traditional. It's non-traditional. So they meet, every person individually where they are to get them to where they need to be. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. That's what, that's what they, they do. If, if you need, when therapy is a part of it, you know, art therapy. I remember my little boy, he played video games and that was the way they related. He relate to them. And yeah. now they have like this whole video gaming where they bring all the kids there. And my son is pretty happy about it because he's like, Hey, I remember I- they started yeah. that with me. So it's like they find ways to meet every individual where they are. And yeah. that's the way that therapy, when someone is going through something, you have to meet them where they are. Yeah. And that's what that organization was like. They met me where I was. I didn't know that I was suicidal until they told me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was it's really, it's really strange. And like my husband, he didn't know that he was. It's, it's really strange how the, how the mind works. Yeah. But uh, my saving grace. Well, it sounds like um, with your son and with you, this organization at the beginning when you needed it made the connection, right? They helped your son. They made a connection with your son through the video games, right? And and he was able to build from there um, to start his healing process. Um, therapy twice a week, and then it went down to once a week, and now and and then once we were released, we and it's still family. And I think the one thing that with all of us and with the you know first responders, when you find a place where you're accepted and you're not judged, and I think that's why we culturally competent when we're going to other offices, we feel judged because they really don't understand. But when you're around people that get it, that have experienced it, that know, it makes so much more of a difference. Oh yeah, absolutely for sure. I can see the two ladies um, nodding there profusely. Um, you had, do you want to chime in? What resources or was there organizations that you felt helpful, any therapy that you felt helpful for you um, to be able to talk through all of this stuff right at the beginning and, and now? And I think it's still important to, to, to recognize that we all still need that um, someone to be a listener for us, right? Um, I know Katie and Karen you know, you're two years in Karen, right? And then Katie, your one year um, anniversary was just recently. Um, but still, like checking in, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, like really, how are you doing? 
um, and need someone to to check in on you. But was there any resources that you want to share that were helpful to you? I didn't try anything but first help. Um, I had looked into, like Sharonda said, different um, grief and support, and then I didn't even make it far enough to go to it because it was like, oh, you know, was there going to be a stigma, you know, because I'm a suicide um, widow and then, you know, or law enforcement, you know, but it, it was still, you know, was it, you know, now they talk about, you know, line of duty death and including suicide in that. But at that time it wasn't the same as other line of duty deaths. And I don't even know how I ended up uh, getting connected with first help. If, Somebody from my husband's department gave my email and it was, I received this email and filled out a questionnaire about it and it just clicked. And it wasn't long after being connected that um, Linda knows they were having the walk in Braintree and it was still pretty fresh for me. It was like maybe six, seven months since my husband had passed away and I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll go, I'll go on this walk and naively went on my own. Uh, and you did go Karen on your own, yeah. And Karen introduced me to Linda, who was kind of like, who are you here with? And I was like, me. And just gave me a big hug and made me feel welcome. And then got linked up into the Zoom meetings with Sharonda. And it's just been awesome and just feel so lucky that I've met you guys and been able to use that as my resource. I love that. Love hearing that. Yeah. I remember walking with you that day too. Yeah. Um, we had very good conversation happening. Katie, how about yes, yourself? Yeah. Katie, how about you? Yeah. Um, similar story. Um, after Jim's funeral, I was, instead of flowers, I was looking to give donations back to some sort of, you know, thing that's going to help the community and just I guess coincidentally I found the suicide walk in Braintree so I asked in lieu of you know flowers please send a donation not knowing what a big role first help would play in my life months down the road so we gave the donations and I remember saying like oh geez there's a lot of donations coming in from Brockton they have a huge presence like I don't understand and um, my dear friend that had introduced me to First Help, um, that's when I kind of met everyone. I went on that walk, and um, we had a good representation from Jim's department, from my yeah. family, my friends. And that's when I really started um, talking, I guess, to people in First Help. And Karen approached me, and at that point, we were same. It was really recent for us. We were only two months into it and Karen said, Hey, like we're having this honor dinner in Dallas in September. Do you think you'd be ready to come? And it was kind of like deer in the headlights, um, but decided to, you know, do it. And that's really when I felt super connected to everyone when I went there and met everyone, because we're all, we all um, have similar outcomes, but different circumstances, which led yeah. to this. But the, I guess the common thread is we all understand we were all in law enforcement, first responder, whatever, yeah. and had the same unfortunate outcome, but they have been an invaluable resource to me. So everyone at First Help, I have to really, I don't know what I would have done the last year without yeah. that support and yeah. connection. 
Yeah, I I agree too. And you know, in our own our own situation, um, you know, being here at the cafe. I mean, we had a picture up of Alex in in the cafe, and I I've shared this so many times in in the interviews. And I'm sure Jay is probably sick of hearing it, but it's it's valuable to to for our listeners to understand that you know how lost you can be if if there's no resources being offered to you i mean we were alone and didn't know where to go and it was didn't quite understand also why the department um wasn't um you know coming to us either with you know here's a phone number to to help you to talk to someone about this and i mean there was none of that from the department um his buddies were coming in um you know i'm fortunate that I, i'm i'm sort of available in the cafe where a lot of first responders were coming in anyway um and so you know his buddies sort of they knew i was here and and were coming in and checking in and chatting with me and i got to know a lot of them um more um so um from from coming in but there was a picture hanging up in the, in the cafe it's still here and um at the beginning, you know, there was uh, people asking us, well, who's, who's this young man who, who has passed? And obviously the picture is, is him in, in his police uniform. And um, I would say that's our son. And um, I wouldn't say how we lost him. They could see the, his, his date, end of watch, and uh, on there. So, But I would never start to mention how we lost him. And... I was ashamed at the beginning um, to say even the word suicide. Um, but also, um, I, I don't know what the fear was. Maybe from being judged. If someone, these strangers who were asking me this question that didn't know our family personally, you know, are they going to judge us um, because there was a suicide? And um, so that's sort of where stigma comes you know your own how we create our own stigma right um for for not sharing not not saying it openly um for fear of being judged and um after a while I realized that some first responders were coming in and and talking to me and sharing with me um their own struggles and um and I realized very quickly that there was a lot of first responders who were struggling and it wasn't just it wasn't just Alex. It was, it was um, a lot of first responders who were struggling with what they saw every day, and um, and that they weren't sharing it. And somehow they felt comfortable sharing it with me. Um, I don't know because I had been through that um, journey, or you know, they wanted to share, you know, what they were going through and unload a little bit, maybe. But it wasn't till a year and a half that we met. We were introduced to First Help. My husband stumbled across First Help. I don't know how he did, but it was about a year and a half. And he reached out to Karen. And um, and that's sort of where I think um, our healing journey started um, with being introduced to, you know, the First Help dinner. I mean, COVID had hit right and uh, the honor dinner and that was our first year sort of after the covid but it was three years um before my husband could even mention alex's name like i'd go home and i had sort of 
started a process of somewhat somewhat of a healing, not talking to anybody like a therapist, but somewhat I found some healing of being able to talk to other first responders. And many of them like were coming in and and speaking with me and also offering me, I think, some it was like talking talking to a therapy session, you know, having a therapy session with a first responder. Um, and many of them like seniors in, in, in departments and, and started counselling me through some stuff. And I found a lot of healing from that. Um, but then first help came along. and um, But George, I mean, I couldn't, if I went home and said, oh, one of Alex's buddies was in today um, and chatting with me, the hand would go up right away. And, you know, I can't do this. He would put his hand right up and I can't do this. I can't, I can't, can't talk about this. So, um, so I couldn't sort of talk about it really at home. Um, but sort of watching, making sure they were okay. And, you know, I t- started took on the role as, as the fixer. And we, we talked about this, um, myself and Jay, many times, taking on the role as the fixer, making sure everyone else was okay. Um, and then silently I would sort of, you know, shed my tears or anger or sadness or whatever I was feeling on the way home in the car um, from work. And then that mask went up um, as soon as I walked in the door. So, um, yeah, it was when I met First Help. And um, we went to our first on our dinner and the breakout sessions. Um, that was very much a learning experience for me. Um, I learned so much more about myself, how strong I am, first off, right? And I'm, I can see you all nodding, how strong I am, but also um, that it was okay to allow myself to be vulnerable and, um, and it was okay to, to say I'm not okay either, you know? And, um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of growth in that first year um, that, I learned a lot, like, how much my life was out of balance, you know. Spiritually, I was very connected. Um, I had grown so much spiritually. But self-care, um, that was just gone out the window. And um, so I was able to start to see where I needed to make a little bit of prov- an improvement on myself. And I'm, you know what, I'm still working on it, um, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. I'm still working it's, on it. it. It's healing. I-N-G. There's, there will never be an E-D at the end of it. It's always not healed. It's healing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I'm still working on that and, and definitely making the connections with other families um, who got it. You know, we were all there for a reason. It's a group that we, we don't want to be a part of, right? And, um, but we are. And, um, and because of that, being a part of that group, um, there, there definitely has been a lot of growth and healing and connection, non-judgmental, um, and it has just been amazing. So definitely first help for me too. Um, and then just sort of meeting lots of other people. I mean, you know, connecting with my friend Jay um, here and, um, and how much I have grown over, over, over this time and still start to working on it, right? Um, it's definitely been an amazing um, journey for sure. Um, 
how how going through so something so tragic and the trauma that we've all been through, but yet we have made some amazing connections along the way. Something beautiful, right? Um, I'd like to ask you, if if you don't mind, for a first responder family or wife in particular, um, if there was something that you would want to share with them, um, what would it be? Maybe it's a first responder family that or a wife that is recognizing some signs that you talked about, which is why I asked um, those type of questions with you. Um, someone might be just listening and hear you speaking about the signs that you noticed, um, you know, about your husband's. But what, what advice would you give a first responder wife who's hasn't lost a husband, but is going through some struggling, what would you share? I would tell them, don't be, don't be afraid to say something. A lot of the times we won't say anything because we don't want to irritate them. And a, that's really a fear for ourselves because we really don't want to know what's on the other side. We really don't want to deal with it either. That's like a little bit of self-actualization within ourselves. They're going to be angry, but you ride them. You see something wrong with them, you stay on them. I'm, my husband thanked me for that before he left. The outcome was still, you know, it happened. But I look back on it, and I don't regret it now. I'm happy that I made him go to the doctor. I'm happy that I was riding him because he stayed a little bit longer. I was still able to keep him a year late, a, a year longer. Um, so I would tell them to stay on them. You see it because you're the only one that's really going to see it. Jobs may not see it. Other people may not see it, but you're the closest one. So you're going to see it. Let them know this is what you're doing, whether they receive it or not, they hear it. They may not want to hear it, but, and then you also lead with compassion. Don't, um, don't force it or, or don't lead with, um, you, 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 you keep that you out of it and let them know this is what I feel. This is what I see in you. And I'm concerned. You have to kind of be stern, but you still have to walk it delicately. So you would tell them, this is what I see in you. And be compassionate with, with them as well as yourself, but also be stern. Let them know what you see, but lead it with love mm -hmm. and take your feelings out of it. And the most thing, when they come home, give them at least an hour to decompress before you introduce anything to them. You know, if you guys are having an issue, if you guys are having, you want to finish the conversation, give them that time for their brains to just kind of, from the whole day, just give them a moment and mm -hmm. then say something because they may snap in the very beginning because they're still heightened. They still have that hypervigilance and they have to come down. So just wait a little while. Give them that 30 minutes to an hour so that they can decompress then introduce whatever you need to them. Mm. And for those that's in the after effect, I would tell them, trust the process. It's hard. Healing is hard. It's actually harder than losing your loved one. The living without them is harder. The healing is harder. But you can do it. But trust the process and stay in it. It's not supposed, If it's easy, if you're going through it easy, you're doing something wrong. Mm. If, if something is wrong, it's going to be hard. It's going to be raw. And you're not the same person that you were before they died. You are new. You died with them. That person, that version of you died with them. 
you are a new person. But this new person is can be, it's it's not a bad thing. It's actually more beautiful because you understand a lot more. So you understand pain a lot more and you and it doesn't have to be ugly. It can be beautiful. You know, it's pain into purpose. Mm. And that's the life that you can live now. Mm. Um, that's all that I have. Yeah, so first responders <laughs> like tend to be able to really good at hiding, you know, what's really going on, right? So some listeners, um, you know, might be experiencing that or might not um, notice some red flags, but there might be just some small little changes that they do notice at home. And, you know, make note, right? Make note of those those things. And is there something else that's adding in there that changes? And have that conversation, right? Because they are really, really good at hiding things. Um, that stuff. Ladies, do you want to chime in, Karen and Katie? The, the small thing, the small things matter. Yeah, it's the tiny things. Those yes. are the big things. So if it's small, those are the biggest things. Yeah. They matter. Yes, absolutely. You ladies want to chime in? What would you say to a wife or spouse or family of a first responder who they feel that might be their first responder might be struggling, but they haven't they haven't addressed it yet? I would echo yeah, I what Sharonda said. Just don't be afraid. Exactly. You don't want to regret saying, not saying anything. And mm-hmm. as Sharonda said, you're the closest and you're going to pick up on those little things. Um, and you never know. I, I think ultimately they want you to notice and they want you to say something. They, they might not admit that, but I think that that's a way for them to feel as though like they have value and you know and to realize that people notice people care Uh, I know Jim felt like he was a burden and I wish a lot of times maybe I had asked a little bit more because I might have been hesitant to ask about how his day or certain call was because I didn't want to put him through that to talk about it and like Sharonda also mentioned I didn't really want to know because I think about what he must have been dealing with and I don't know how he slept at night I don't know how I could sleep at night like just you know talking and reliving all of that but there's part of me that wish I had a little bit more yeah and just chewing I think that it's it's okay to not be strong I think they're they're so ingrained just you know they've got to be so strong and I know like with my husband you know like I said he was in the military he was a first responder you know and they just have this perception of their you know they're weak if they Mm. start to say that something's not right and you know it's actually a sign of strength you know that hey I'm not okay um you know and just like Sharonda and Kate has said you know we're the ones that we see it first and it's okay to broach the subject and like hey what's really going on and it's okay and I'm here for you and we're gonna do what we can yeah, absolutely. I I hear you all in what you're saying. And exactly that. I mean, we are Hope Beyond the Badge. We created this podcast because we are both passionate about um, helping first responders who are listening um, to it to make it easier for them to talk um, because they don't talk the own people knowing their business within their department, you know, all of that type of stuff, right? Um, and also the fear of, of being, if I show any sign of 
um, vulnerability or I, I'm weak and I can't be a weak person um, as a police officer or first responder. Um, but we are here openly talking about having these discussions and inviting people in to talk to us um, about this stuff, making it easier for first responders to be able to talk within the department and letting them know that whatever they're going through, they can heal from it and they can live a very healthy life also while continuing to work on their job and continue to have a healthy life when they, when they finish their job um, and retire. And we hope that they, they do get to, to retirement, you know. Jay, do you want to chime in? Uh, yes, please. So we've, we've touched base on stigma a few times um, during this episode. And um, when we talk about the barriers to, to uh, first respond to seeking help when they need it, some of that is, is like some self-imposed stigma, right? And I'm wondering if any of you ladies have suggestions, either from a family perspective or from the perspective of a first responder um, who, who is in need of help. Like, what are some ways, if you, if you have any suggestions, that you think we can begin to decrease or overcome uh, the things that stigmatize either a first responder from reaching out for help or a family member um, from trying to guide them more towards it? Having conversations and, and reminding them that they're human. So most, a lot of times our first responders, they aren't aware that anything is wrong with them because they've, they've dealt in a, at the mindset of, of the traumatized brain for so long and the coping yeah. brain for so long, they aren't even aware that it's abnormal because this is what they've had so long. Um, so it's easier to show, give them grace. So you have these conversations. Um, we talk about the, it's so much when you're at your weakest, that's when you're your strongest. Yeah. And there isn't a, there isn't a single person that has had post-traumatic stress that I can call weak because it is difficult. It is one of the hardest things to do is to walk around and try to feel like you're normal, try to do everything that you've done before with your emotions and your brain just out of whack. That is, that's strength. So mm -hmm. first of all, they need to be reminded of how strong they are. And they, they are weak just by having these conversations. Um, that's the only way that we can get rid of stigma. If I'm, if I'm vulnerability, there's so much, there's healing and vulnerability and, and healing and transparency. If other people are transparent with what they're going through, it makes it okay for me. So if I hear someone that's that's talking and saying, okay, this is what I'm going yeah. through, I can click with that. Yeah. I can understand that. Then that opens that opens the door for me to say, okay, this is what I'm going through. That's the only way that we're going to do it. If we call the if we call the muster by its name, we take the power away from it. So if we address it, talk about it, because it is human, it is normal. There isn't a person around that that's not going to suffer at some point in time with, you know, with traumatic, everyone is going to deal with something traumatic in their lives. Mm -hmm. This is human. Just because you're wearing a uniform, it doesn't protect you from being human. Yes. You know, you actually suffer more than a human, than anyone outside of that badge. So yes. that's what I would say. And exactly. And I mean, what they see every day, right, is not normal. It's yeah. not normal. 
and and for them not to experience effects of seeing that those traumatic incidents on a daily basis, right? And everything. It might be a small uh, call that they go out on or a big call or a bad call that they go out on, but they're picking up something from that call that's going in that backpack right there. And um, yes, it's not normal. And just wearing the yeah. just wearing the uniform alone, the uniform alone is traumatizing. So you don't even have to have a call. Just the fact that you have that hyper vigilance as a, a first as a police officer that never turns off. Your brain isn't meant to be that way. You can't function mm. like that. You you, you just can't. Mm. So to be reminded that you're human, and and conversations. And hope beyond the badge. Things like this. This is what, this is the healing. This is the part that's helping. And I'm grateful for it because there, maybe there will be one less Omar out there that listens to this call. You know, and I'm grateful for that. That's what we're hoping for. um, That someone just might be listening. And again, to make that conversation um, fluent in all first responder cultures. And I love that you touched on that, Sharonda. Like if I hear someone talking about what they're going through mm, and I resonate with that well then it's opening a door or a crack maybe even a little crack at the beginning right for me to be able to to talk about what I'm going through and it's the same for a first responder if they witness or hear of someone within their department talking about um they're after seeking help from 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 struggling from something and they also witness a department helping them, providing resources and helping them. It's They're going to also believe that they are going to receive the same help if they go forward to, to seek it, right? Mm-hmm. But on the same, the flip of that, if a first responder or police officer witnesses someone else going to seek help, but they were penalized or did not receive resources or support from the department they're also going to believe that that is also going to happen to them and they will Mm -hmm. not go and get help so it starts Mm -hmm. talking about it in the department peers to peers right um amongst each other but also the department um stepping up and um you know these guys are going out and, and women are are in a job that you know that they are going to experience trauma. So let's be proactive and provide resources now. Check-ins, right? Um, how are you doing? Peer support check-ins um, from time to time rather than being reactive when something happens within a department. And then they don't know what to do, how to handle it. So why not mm-hmm. try to prevent that type of stuff? And and that's what we're about is hoping on the badges yep. is being able to try and make it easier for first responders to be able to talk about that. And I know I'm not going to stop talking and I know yeah. you're not going to stop talking. And how about you? I, right, ladies? Um, I'm pointing my finger, but exactly. you can't see it. I'm up here. I know you ladies are not going to stop talking about it. Right. <laughs> um, because it's important. And this is helping mm-hmm. smash the stigma. And I know I, this guy. I, there, there, there's another thing I think yeah. in the beginning, uh, in that academy, they just received I'm old, most departments just said eight hours of the little wellness, mental wellness training. I think we need to have that, you know, pretty consistently. Anytime you have to go in and qualify for everything else, go through a class, you know, because you have mm-hmm. to relearn 
the only way that you're going to know something is wrong with you is if it's if you're, if you're being introduced to it. So you have these classes, just like you have to go and uh, recertify for everything else. Let that be. It doesn't necessarily have to be a recertification, but you know you have to you have to continue an education with that. The the next class mm-hmm. you have to um, the next training that should be a part of it. That because that's the number one physical health is your mental health. <laughs> you know, and yes. if you can constantly, if you can promote that, you need to promote mental health. Yes. Because more officers die, and, you know, by their hands and feloniously. Yes, know? absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that stigma is still there, right? If those numbers are still there with first responder suicides being a number one, um, that more than, than line of duty, um, there still is an issue. Even though I, we, we do know that, the, it, it, you know, it's, they're making strides, right? There's strides being made and the stuff, but there's still a lot of work to be done and if we can only mm-hmm. continue to talk about it it doesn't take one person to, it, it's a village if we can continue to get people to continue to talk about it um it just might make it easier for a listener who's listening in tonight um to say you know what i'm not weak i'm going to get help and i don't care mm-hmm. who's going to be talking about me within my department because you know what i'm doing this for me i'm doing this for my family i'm doing this for my children and maybe someone else that's coming after me who sees me getting healthy and getting well, right? It's going to make it easier for them also um, to continue to start a healing journey, for sure. Ladies, oh my goodness. I mean, I could go on, uh, continue on with this conversation with you. What a powerful, insightful conversation um, that we've had tonight. Um, I know that I'm the better for hearing your perspective as a widow um, of losing a first responder to suicide. Till next time. Um, I appreciate you coming in and being open and having an open, honest conversation with us. Um, Jay? Yeah, I, I feel absolutely honored just to, uh, to be part of this conversation with, with you ladies. And uh, I thank you and applaud you for all of your strength and yes. being able to come out here and normalize this conversation because I agree with everything that was said about how we overcome the stigma. And uh, that's what we're all doing tonight. Thank you so much. Sharonda, Katie, and Karen took us on the journey of falling in love with the first responder, what their lives were like, and the families they built together. They also shared with us the dark side of a first responder who's struggling, what they noticed as spouses, and in some cases, how they began to struggle in their marriage as a unit. They can't unknow what they know now from their own experiences. They all offer guidance to a first responder's spouse or family. If you notice something is off, speak up, start a conversation. If you're a first responder family who resonates with this interview, reach out for help, please. If you don't know where to start, reach out to myself and Linda. I'll guide you. Till next time. Till next time.